First guest we've ever had on this show. Really? Yeah. Hi, I watch every episode. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what? That's crazy. I mean, I yes, of course, I knew that. <laughs> I'm really your first guest. Oh my god, is it because you know all the clout I'm gonna gain with the Sonic podcast? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, yeah, that's the real reason why you're here. It's just to advertise our new secondary podcast. Secondary? Wow, you're throwing secondary on a lot of primary content here. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Sorry. This is now my secondary podcast. And uh, what, you, what you're doing and what we are doing. Okay, good. He just left the Bye. call. <laughs> Goodbye, Johnny. I can't pick favorites. I can't pick favorites. They're all my projects. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Get out. I'm number one now. <laughs> We're all number one now. We are number one. I fucking... I'm sorry. You are all my favorites in my heart. I love you all. So what you're saying is I need to eliminate the competition. Well, my face is so low. Come at me. Come no. at me. No. No. <laughs> Don't fight. There's no eliminating me. Shut the fuck up. I would threaten to step on you once and you'd collapse to the ground. <laughs> this is not this is not a zero sum game. We are we are fine. What a fucking heat move, Johnny. Uh, guys, we should introduce ourselves. My name is well, David. Well David, Baxter. we should slate first. Is that not the slate? As you can tell from the visual, this is where our audio lines up. Right here. Three yeah, here. two one. This much. Well. Did you clap? <laughs> Evie didn't clap. Okay. Let's try it one more time. <laughs> you guys are dead, David. Three, two, one. All right. Well, uh, now that we have the slate out of the way. Hi, my name is David Baxter. I am a, a podcastman. Hi, I'm I'm Johnny Bartlett. I'm also a podcastman. Whoa, and we have a third, third, third mm Hi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you are? <laughs> Hi, my name is E.B. Flippiak, soon-to-be podcastman, owner of the Sonic Podcast franchise. Yes. New owner and proprietor, and also owner and proprietor of the new at podcast Sonic on Twitter. I don't know what you're talking about. Sonic runs that. You're right. My bad. It's Sonics. It's all Sonics. I'll edit that. Edit that in post. Wait, so so this is a licensed Sonic podcast? Uh, it's yeah, official. It's a, Yeah, it's the only one that's called the Sonic podcast. So yeah, we it is official. put it in the title so it's official. <laughs> as far as I'm aware, that's how IP works. Yeah, that's how it works. We're the first to do it. But yeah, who the fuck are you? <laughs> well, I'm Evie Flippiak, 
Oh yeah, you already said. Already said that. I'm I'm an idiot. <laughs> God damn it. I'm on, I'm not on my fucking soon to be today. future fucking... podcastman owner of the Sonic Podcast franchise. <laughs> it's because. It's because I introduced myself twice that uh, we all have to introduce ourselves twice. So uh, now, Johnny, who are you again? Uh, hi, I'm Johnny Bartlett. Uh, I exist on this ethereal plane with everyone else. Hi, and I'm Evie. I don't. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, now let's get to the game. What games are on the docket today? <laughs> You're the first one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting for you this entire time. I thought you were going to segue us into it. <laughs> I did! <laughs> First game is Imperator Rome. <laughs> the next one is Europa. Uh, and then Rover Mechanic Simulator. Then Darkwood. And Crying Sons. I trained for this moment. You're ready. It's time. Yakuza Kiwami 2. <laughs> Let's get in the meat of this. Uh, our, our first game is Imperator Rome, uh, made by Paradox Development Studio who's also done Heart of Iron and Victoria and Stellaris. Uh, and this is the exact kind of thing you'd expect from this type of game. It's a very it's a very dense game. There's a lot of like reading. It's a it's a city management sim game in which you you control your empire of Rome. You don't have to control Rome. You can control other empires too. Uh, but you build up the Roman Empire, and you manage, like, all the little details of your city, from your religion to your people to your your family lineage and everything. And throughout, you try to slowly conquer different areas. Like, it makes you start by conquering the Italian peninsula. Uh, and it's it's wild. There's It's a very dense game, so most of the game is... <laughs> what are you laughing at, David? <laughs> He keeps saying, it's a dense game. And then I'm like, I wonder how long he actually played it. And then I look at it, it's 1.6 hours on record. <laughs> it's, well, that's that's how I know it's dense. Because <laughs> I played for two hours this morning and got nowhere in the game. Like, I built... You also played it on stream. <laughs> yeah, well, not very long on stream. I literally booted it up and then did failed the tutorial and quit. He booted it up <laughs> and it was like, this is Civ 5, right? <laughs> That's just why I was laughing. I was like, just like, it's just, it's so dense. I just, I'm not sure about this one. I just, I don't know. And then it's like 1.6 hours on record. Like, don't, don't out me like that. <laughs> All right. Let me justify why this game was dense and how I know it's dense. <laughs> Uh, because I played for like this, this morning, uh, I, I finished playing this game for the podcast, <laughs> uh, and I played it for a good, like an hour and a half probably. And in that hour and a half, I got absolutely nowhere in the game. Like I got, I mean, I advanced probably like three years and went through like two different family trees of rulers and everything. But as far as advancing main objectives, I got nowhere. Uh, because the first objective is to conquer the Italian peninsula. And it's it's a long grind. Like, you have to build up a military and establish relations and, like, work on your diplomacy. And it's it's not just a thing that you just send people in and conquer it, like Risk or anything. It's it's a very you mean, like, long game. like, real history? Game. You're just playing history. <laughs> it's, it's kind of real history. I mean, it had real historical figures, but it's the same real history in the sense that, like, the Civ games are real history. That, like, 
Are you saying Gandhi wasn't a fucking barbaric animal? <laughs> he actually is a complete savage and r ruled over everybody with an iron fist. That's historical fact. I mean, he was a fucking bastard in real life, so... According to many sources, Gandhi's past is very checkered. From aggressively anti-black remarks and a dismissal of the Dalit, Gandhi often argued that Indians were equal to whites and far superior to native Africans. He accepted and encouraged white colonials as the predominating race of the time. While it's shown that later in life he began steering away from his more racist beliefs, he's also had a history of sexism towards women, making underage women sleep in his bed to test his celibacy, and even admitting to getting physical with his wife as a result of his ego. While Gandhi did a lot for some social issues of his time, it's important not to overlook his negative contributions in other areas and to not dismiss his behavior or revise history to make him seem perfect. We'll drop some Gandhi articles in the description. Have fun, David. An eye for an eye makes the whole world blind, so wife, you can't hit me back. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus <my> Christ. <laughs> um... So yeah, it's not it's not historically accurate, but there is some like history peppered in 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 like you see historical figures and there's reference to some historical events and stuff. It seems historical in the same way that um Crusader Kings is historical and that all of the characters and people are real and factual, but the way that you interact with them is a simulation so you get to interact with and change history to your whim. Exactly that. That's 100% exactly what it is. And there's no real control over the actual historical narrative that is entirely up to the players so it can't be entirely historically accurate because like you can outlaw all religion in your kingdom you know uh that that's just like a choice you can make to do so it's it, it takes a long time to get anything done in this game and and a lot of the time you're going to be spending it deliberating and thinking about making one or two actions at a time uh it, it's not like uh you know it's it's not a game like starcraft or something where you're doing a whole bunch but you're still managing like the macro and the micro scale of things constantly it's a lot to take in it, it really is a lot to th take in and it's a ton of reading so you have like uh you're, you're managing your individual leaders to prevent them from rebelling so you have to keep their loyalty up and keep their corruption down uh at the same time you're also managing like your entire empire's economy and it's it's religion and it's it's production of of food for everyone and everything like that. So you're you're managing very small details at the t same time as managing very big details and the game does make it very it, it's incredibly easy to keep up with everything that's going on cuz it's just like it's pop-ups constantly. So anytime something needs done you just get like a little pop-up that you click on and it takes you to the right menu, you can assign the right things. So it, it doesn't leave you in the dark and it's very easy to like learn to play. But it is a game that you're going to be, you know, playing two, three, four hours at a time to get one mission done and feel like you're progressing. Now, what would you say is the appeal of this game versus similar games like Civ, then? Uh, I mean, the historical nature of the game. I, I think people who love history will, like, just kind of enjoy seeing, oh, look, there's Caesar, ha ha ha, I get to murder him, uh, you know, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> wait <laughs> the way he said that i was like where <laughs> caesar's here huh the ides of march in the middle of november uh i i think the historical representation is is a fun aspect that people will enjoy and i i think the 
the amount of management you do in this game, the the sort of like economic scale and the the scale of like doing it at a full nation. Uh, I I think a game like Civ feels more surface level than this game. Because, like, it's going as far as as bribing individual elected officials to keep them happy with you in this game. So I I think if you like real detail-oriented sort of management, I I think people would enjoy this one over a game like Civ. It seems like the difference between sort of a simulation versus more of a board game. Yeah, whereas the simulation is focused more on kind of creating a real kind of interpretation of of real life events that you can kind of recreate and try different things out with where whereas it's maybe not even about winning i'm not sure if it's about even has a win state exactly that's a hundred percent that that's a very great way to describe it david uh there are like objectives so i'm assuming you can accomplish like a win state uh in, in the same sense that like civ has a, a win state uh, but I, I think you're right on that. Like, the, the idea of the game, it's more about the journey and seeing, oh, well, what would happen if the Roman Empire, you know, just dissolved? Or what would happen if, uh, instead of conquering this place, we went... Because the, the fucking map is huge on this game. So you can extend your reach as as far as... uh Editor David, put something in about how far the reach is. I'll, I'll get you an accurate sense of the map. Uh... Hey, hey, you're editing this one. Am I? <laughs> Fuck, Editor Johnny. <laughs> Send this particular moment to Editor Bax. At least at least I would really like you to, because I'm in the middle of editing another podcast for me and Evie. <laughs> I just, like, it was really funny when you were like, Editor David, and I'm like, can that be Editor Johnny instead? <laughs> Editor Johnny. Hi there, Editor David here. Just wanted to say that at its westernmost point, the discovered world in Imperator Rome covers northwest Africa, the Iberian Peninsula, the British Southwest Isles, and south of Scandinavia. Moving through the western Europe, North Africa, and the Mediterranean, the world map then covers most of Asia, excluding modern-day Russian territory and the inner territories of Saudi Arabia. East Asia, including the Indian subcontinent and parts of modern-day China, are featured at the easternmost point, however. There are over 7,000 cities in Imperator Rome, so you're unlikely to run out of territory to invade. Enjoy, gamers! Now, Bax, you've called this a simulation, but Johnny, you mentioned a lot of reading, so how is this not a visual novel? Because <laughs> <laughs> you can't fuck anyone! You don't gotta in a visual novel. I wish you wouldn't characterize an entire genre of gaming. (laughs) While Imperator Rome does need a lot of the qualifications to be a visual novel, in which the predominant gameplay is clicking in order to advance a series of dialogue, sound, and text boxes, Imperator Rome would still not be considered one. Because visual novels are defined on a stylistic element as well, in which their story is often focused around characters and the dialogue between them, as well as Eroge, an abbreviation for erotic games, in which the characters can fuck each other. So Imperator at Rome is not a visual novel, because it does not have a strong focus on characters, and you cannot fuck anyone. 
Uh, but yeah, I, I think this game is good. It's a lot of fun, uh, but it is a lot of like, it's very dense. There's a lot of reading. There's a lot of management. It's not, it, it's not flashy or exciting per se. Uh, so it, if you're going to get bored sitting there staring at a screen for an hour, feeling like you're doing nothing, it's probably not the game for you. I mean, I personally like implementing like 50 mods on Civ and just absolutely destroying any other civilization just so I can fuck around and launch missiles. It seems like this would be a good game for that. I'd love to add missiles to this game. A hundred percent. And they have, as as David was saying, there is, speaking of mods, a mod that lets you carry your save from uh, working from Imperator to Crusader Kingdoms 2 to Europa to Victoria 2 to uh, House of Empires, uh, to Stellaris. So you can work your way through with a single save through, like, the entire sort of uh, movement of of a civilization to intergalactic travel, including Europa. I'm looking at all the different styles, art styles, I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? This little character from Europa, it's like something happened to humanity at some point. Yeah, so, uh, turns out there are two different Europas. There's the one that's about Europe, and it's people, Europa. And then there's the one, your, Europa. You, Europa. That's our, that's our next game on the docket, folks. Europa. Spell it out. Is Are they spelled the same? And now it's time for Spelling Time with David. No. E-U-R-O-P-A. Europa. That's that's Europa Universalis. Uh, And then the game that we're playing, Y-O-U-R-O-P-A. Your Opa. In case you're wondering, listeners at home and not Evie, who is confused... (laughs) Well, and also, just, like, to fucking search this shit, because it's an audio medium. (laughs) Uh, So, this is developed and published by Freckle. That is... And now it's time for Spelling Time with David. Part 2. F-R-C-L-E, because it's not spelled like a normal freckle. And uh, they've made no other games, but this is a pretty fun one. It's a gravity-bending game about walking upside down and solving puzzles. You got these suction cup feet, and they carry you places in like a Mario Galaxy-style way you can walk around ramps, around rounded edges, uh, around some circular platforms. Uh, the, the twist here is that unlike Super Mario Galaxy, gravity still fucking exists, bitch. You fall. <laughs> so uh, you got like to worry about uh, the fact that you're hovering above Paris and the rope that you have like dangling uh, on your leg. It helps you sort of position yourself at any given point in the game where you can look at your rope and see where it's dangling. You can tell like, OK, that's probably where down is. And that, that, those are some issues that I've had playing similar games uh, where, where, where like they don't 
communicated as well, but just having something on the character that you can see, like, okay, well, his arms are dangling this way over to the side, and his fucking rope is swinging that way, so I know that way must be down. And it's super goofy the way that the character animates itself, so it makes it very clear. It's sort of like a ragdoll from, uh, I don't know, like a Gary's Mod almost, with, with the way that he sort of waves his little silly arms around. Um, it's kind of what you'd expect, though. Let's see. There there are some interesting things like the paint mechanic replaces health bars. So um, instead of like having a health bar that every time you take damage it gets lower, uh, you color your whole character uh, to have them look however you want. And there's this, all this character customization stuff. Uh, but then when you take damage, you lose that character customization and it just gets drained out to like a white husk. And the enemies are the same way. They have color until you either shoot them with water or they get hit by like your kick or something and they fall down and then they lose all their paint and then you can usually solve puzzles with their corpses. So when your mother threatens to like beat the white off of you. Literally, you are you are beating the white <laughs> the, beating the color out of their asses. <laughs> is is uh is what you do in this game. It's sort of like a reverse version of DeBlob. Have you ever played that game? Oh my yeah. god, I did years ago. Yeah about like painting <laughs> you're not painting the town red it's more about uh just trying to keep the town on yourself i guess anyway uh that was a weird analogy the map system in this game is very intuitive and uh very easy to figure out where you are and how to advance in the story uh fast travel is kind of weird you have to find very specific paint terminals that aren't very common to fast travel between um the levels are self-contained and they can be viewed from like this removed bird's eye perspective. So at any point you can just click a button and then see the entire level and twist it around like it was a little Rubik's Cube puzzle block. And that made it uh, a lot easier to solve certain puzzles and a lot more accessible just in general. And then there are certain puzzles that require you to do that to see things from a certain perspective that gives you information for a puzzle. Those were interesting too. Um... There are a lot of neat little minigame moments along the way. You get to ride a scooter and a car onto these sick racetracks. You get, like, this pogo stick that you get to hop on, little squirt guns. There's stealth segments, platforming segments. It's great. Um, compared to Aetherborn, which was a game that I reviewed a while ago on this podcast, which was, like, basically the exact same concept except where you or your gravity is gravity stays and so you could just fall off the ledge a ton very easily in very weird ways um that game sucked it was just philosophical and it had, was up its ass pretentious and this game is just like here uh spray paint your little white dude and i made him into a minion and it was fun i was walking around the the skies of paris and climbing around little if you want to avoid spoilers, skip ahead to 23 minutes and 40 seconds. Things that were floating in the air, and then eventually at the end of the game, you even get to climb the Eiffel Tower, and then you fly to the top, and, and then you, you soar away, and you become like a god or something. It's almost like the exact same ending as Eternia, Aetherborn or whatever, except it's, it was fun, and it felt earned, because I climbed, and I went somewhere instead of just going down a predetermined path. I don't know. <laughs> that was kind of cool but um so it was worth it the death was worth it yeah i mean you worked hard to like, die i i i <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it was it was a very hard earned heat death uh that that i worked towards 
at the very end of the game there to kind of fly off into this into the space universe but yeah um it's just kind of goofy it's fun uh about eight to nine hours in length uh there's a lot of collectibles to find that you could probably keep you to go into like another maybe 16 hours tops uh and then there's also like a level editor that if you collect all the collectibles you get more things to use in the level editor it seems like it's not used that often, though, which is kind of a shame. It's probably because it's locked behind the collectibles. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty neat. If you if the idea of this game sounds like any kind of fun to you and you're not bored of gravity-based puzzle mechanics, then you'll have a lot of fun with this one. I, I know that I did. I just wish that I could share my little Binion with the world, my little Minion Binion. I love him so. I, I spent a long time on him. Just making him look nice and pretty. I didn't care about minions before this, but now I have a vested interest. Okay, time to log off the call after that. <laughs> I have a vested interest in minions. I'll have you know, actually, at one point, I, I had to Google, because uh, I was like, man, I have to look at a good minion reference sheet, but I don't know what a minion rear end looks like. And I, I, I Googled minion butt, and I got so much smut, so much smut that I was not fucking prepared for, and it was all there. Oh, yeah, that's a lot of just straight butt. You just looked it up? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but, yeah, so this game, if the, the gravity mechanics are all right, I guess. You know, if if you like the, the things about space and, and gravity that, that aren't as fun... Like all the technical aspects and the robot aspects, maybe you'll like this other game on our list. Our next game is Rover Mechanic Simulator by Pyramid Games. Uh, and they've also done Alter Cosmos, and they're getting ready to release Occupy Mars. Uh, and, and before David outs me on this one versus the last <laughs> one, I do only have 71 minutes played time on this game. <laughs> oh, I wasn't even going to check. Damn. <laughs> I mean, I, with this one, I was going to give you a pass because, I mean, it's a fucking mechanic simulator. Yeah, this game is Rover Mechanic Simulator. It's a mechanic simulator for rovers. So that's the game. There's some, like... There's some real neat things like you. Can, there's a talent point system where you can like reduce the cooldown of your 3D printer, uh, or or reduce the time it takes to unscrew screws. So there's there's a whole talent tree system you can do, and you get like quests to fix rovers. But it's a mechanic simulator for rovers. That's that's all I got for this one. Is that literally it? I thought you'd at least like be able to get like 30 seconds more. You got nothing. I mean, like, how did? <laughs> Okay, okay. So, so here's here's my here's my tangent on this game. I don't know who this kind these kinds of games are made for. Like mechanics. The it it, it is <laughs> it's not mechanics though cuz it's it's too specific for just like casual players. No no casual player is going to want to spend 5 minutes unscrewing 12 screws from a wheel to go 3D print apart. Like that's boring as fuck for most people, <laughs> but it's too simplistic for like actual mechanics to enjoy because like you're not actually doing any diagnostics or testing. It's all just a robot that analyzes things and tells you where the broken part is. So I I <laughs> it's fucking funny. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who this game is designed for. I mean, that's how I feel with Kerbal Space Program. I see people play that. I'm like, who the fuck wants to build a spaceship? 
Just give me a spaceship. Yeah, but that's Sorry, like, Jake. That's fun because you have like an objective you're working towards. Like you're building something actively on your own. Like you're doing it through your own creativity. This is literally just like you get a quest that says your bearing is broken and you you scan every bearing to find the broken one, then spend twenty minutes unscrewing the wheel to pull the bearing off. Like just actual shitty mechanic work. Did you consider that you might just suck at the game? <laughs> you can't you can't suck at this game. There's no sucking at it. How would you know? You've only played 70 minutes. Because because it's so simple like <laughs> Okay, well, I well for what it sounds like, I it, it seems like this is the type of game for somebody who has a vested interest in robotics already. And maybe they are already a mechanic and they just don't want to do the labor of it. And you can experience, I don't know, man. Like the only thing, the only thing I can think of is, is the same sort of commentary you made on fantasy blacksmith a couple weeks back it months. I don't know what it's been now, but in that idea of blacksmithing is something that you've always kind of wanted to do, but never actually figured out how to like practically apply that. And I could see this game for someone who is like, oh, I'm really interested in, like, robotics, but I don't actually want to learn robotics. So a very surface level sort of tangential idea of robotics is enough for me. Man, I just don't think he got far in the game because I clicked in a fucking video and there's puzzle elements for wiring and shit. The the wiring is so... Okay, so the wiring is... <laughs> It's it's not even that it's it's like the old school game of pipes like it's not that complex and all it is is every time you finish uh fixing a uh, uh a rover you have to reset it so you have to plug in a little chip and then walk over to the wiring station and then just like run the circuit path and and properly adjust the voltage so it hits the target voltage at the end it's super simple though I mean, it's probably one of those things where, like, uh, I'm kind of thinking, like, in middle school, they have you take dumb personality tests that have no bearing on you whatsoever. It kind of seems like one of those games that, like, oh, you're 12 and think you might want to be a mechanic someday. I could see I could see that of, like, you think you want to be a mechanic, so see if you can endure this first. Because it's going to be more interesting than this, but this is going to be the majority of your job. I, this is going to be relaxing for somebody. That's what I know. Is if people can play Euro Truck Simulator and be like, "This is my fucking vibe." It does look somewhat ASMR in a way. Without a doubt, I, I don't doubt that there are people out there that would love this game. But I don't know who those people are. Like, I, I've never met one. <laughs> I've never met a person that that would enjoy this game. <laughs> If you're listening to the podcast, let us know. We would love to... <laughs> yeah, please, let me know. Tell me what you find interesting about it, because... If you enjoy the monotony of career and uh, working blue-collar for the man, uh, let us know. Also, let us know if you'd like any work. <laughs> <laughs> we need new editors. We need editors. <laughs> <laughs> uh... So yeah, I I I didn't enjoy this game. I don't enjoy a lot of simulators though, so I I'm biased. I th this was the short straw game this month. Um, I, <laughs> it I really was. I don't doubt that there are people that will enjoy it. Uh, if if being a mechanic on rovers sounds like your jam, you'll probably enjoy this game. That's the most I can tell you. Like the the game's in the name of it.
I'm sure there are people that do enjoy it. Because, I mean, oh, me at age eight, I was like, no, I need to get in depth with Restaurant Empire. I need to craft my menu perfectly. <laughs> and no shame to the people who do enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. The name of the game is also in this next one, though, let me tell you. This next one's called Darkwood. And let me tell you, these woods are dark. They they are dark and spooky. It's That's all you need to know. I will say both Bax and I have played Darkwood. Yeah, you can actually comment a little bit on this one. I don't know if you've gotten farther than I have. Have you at least gotten past the tutorial mode and gotten, like, the second achievement? Second achievement? I don't know, but I think I am past you. I think I played it a few years ago. I think I got an ending. Did you kill the pig? That's the next one. Well, here's the thing, and I don't know if you really realize it, Bax. Uh, your decisions directly affect uh, what happens. Oh, really? Oh, I'm a, I'm almost positive that that's the case, because I've already killed a pig already, and the fact that I have to go kill another pig later is, like, kind of foreboding to me, and I feel like I'm going to get, like, a bunch of, like, nasty pigs that hate me, and they just, like, hate all the things that I've done to their people. Also, like, I killed... Um, just like some lady who was having a wedding in the woods and just sort of dancing and spiraling in an endless wedding. I I was just like, maybe she has a key. <laughs> yeah, so her. there are various NPCs in the game, and depending on what you do, like, that'll affect NPCs, how they interact with you, who and when, etc. It seems like there's a lot going on in this game, and it definitely wants you to replay it multiple times, because this is like a pure sort of survival sim, really to its core, uh, where it's a top-down perspective, and you have to make you. It's I don't, you don't have to worry about like health, or sorry, not health. You have to worry about health and stamina, but you don't have to worry about like food or water or any of those kind of typical survival things. You have to worry about gas is one of your biggest things, and you have to worry about weapon durability, and you have to worry about s sort of things of that nature, things to to keep the evils at bay at night, because uh, if you play on the normal difficulty. Uh, if you die, then you just lose, like, a little bit of your equipment, which is, it sucks, but you can usually keep going from it. Well, you also lose reputation with the trader. Oh, that's true. You also lose reputation with the trader. If you survive every night, then you get more reputation, and that's actually how you buy things, which there's no currency in this game. You just have reputation, which I find to be an interesting little mechanic. I'm here for that. He's like, oh, you fucking beta. You suck. No, I'm not giving you my precious resources. Like, dude, you're just going to die the second I give this to you. I'm not going to give it to you. That's basically the idea. Uh, but yeah, so the adaptable difficulty, uh, basically, you can choose at the beginning whether or not you want it to be that mode or you want it to be the slightly harder mode, uh, which I don't remember the in-between. There's one where if you die, then you die permanently. I think there's another one where you have limited lives. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, but there are two endings, and... I don't want to spoil it for you, Bax, but I did get one of the endings, and then there is another different ending. Oh. I bet there's lots of endings, because there's three areas to this game, and a lot of achievements that people haven't gotten. I was going to mention that, because... Only two. But there's, there's, again, a lot of choices that affect the overall gameplay and story. Yeah, and some things that you might not even realize are choices in the moment. That's kind of what I was teasing about at the beginning of your stream the other night. It's like, good thing you killed that dog. Really? Would it have come back? That's funny. <laughs> well, yeah, because, like, there's this moment at the very beginning. Well, I actually, I, should I? I, I don't, I'll get into that later because it's kind of spoiler territory. I mean, it's like five minutes into the game. <laughs> 
I mean, I guess, but like, uh, whatever. I guess I'll just talk about it. But for the next couple of minutes, just know that I'm going to talk about the beginning of the game. Spoilers. If you want to avoid spoilers, skip ahead to 42 minutes. Uh, you play as another character who's not like uh, the main character. And it's like a doctor. And I think it might be like the main antagonist because they're, they basically kidnap what becomes the protagonist and locks them in a cellar and tries to get them to explain where they came from because they don't recognize them from the Darkwood. And you aren't from the Darkwood. You did actually come from somewhere else. Uh, but the way out has now been locked because the guy who locked you in the cell stole your key to get out. So now you have to go venture out all the way through the entire Darkwood to find that doctor guy and then steal that key back. And there's tons of ways to go about it. In the ways that you can kind of tackle every situation in different ways, you can use stealth, you can kind of just intimidate people, you can just fucking run away, you can uh, try to be more aggressive and actually take people out. It's really interesting how much this game relies on its sort of sandboxy elements to provide its storytelling, because there are scripted elements, but the the parts that happen naturally feel the most cinematic and the most memorable. Uh, just several nights where, like, it was just the outside forces were crawling in, and I was desperately clinging to my defenses, like my window broke down, and I had to place, like, multiple bear traps at the window, and I had to keep crafting more, because more things kept coming through the window, but the window was right next to the crafting station, so I had to close my eyes, essentially, while I was crafting more bear traps, and hoping that more things didn't crawl through the window to get me, and just the sound design. Mm. There were multiple times where you were you were like freaking out and like you could hear like the uh, slowly growing music that announces that morning is about to come and like it hits right as you're about to die from all these uh Yeah <laughs> That happens so many times where like I was just the peak penultimate moment of the night where like seconds more and I would have been dead and then just like and like the THQ sound happens. <sighs> THQ. And, uh, sorry, the T I said THQ again! <laughs> THX sound. <laughs> I said THQ in my stream as well. Uh, I, the THX sound happens and it's like, and the morning happens and then you're safe. And it's such a huge breath of fresh air and then the traitor comes. But, like, the thing is, is that you're never off the schedule and that's what stresses me out about streaming this game is that like yeah you stopped at some point to just uh talk around with the chat and like completely forgot yeah. the time was still going on the game doesn't pause the game does not pause i mean it pauses if you hit the escape button but then like all the music pauses too but you didn't do that you were in like inventory <laughs> yeah it was like inventory or something like that and it doesn't pause when you're in inventory so, uh, and then I also, like, forgot to fucking turn the generator off before I left my house, and I used up a ton of extra gasoline, and so I, like, ran back to my house, the generator was empty, I had to scramble to find my leftover gasoline while, like, it was already basically dark outside, and then I got caught in a bear trap that I had set for myself to catch somebody else. <laughs> That's the funniest shit! <laughs> <laughs> and I was just freaking out, like, no! No! I set my own bear trap right at one of the entrances where I expected them to come in. But because I was freaking out and I forgot that I put the bear trap there, it fucking got me. It was so funny. <laughs> and just, like, this game is so good for that kind of emergent storytelling that, like, I highly, 
highly recommend that if it sounds interesting to you that you go and try it out. Uh, because I find a, a highlight of this game as well is definitely both the visuals and the audio aspect. Like, oh, the audio is so good. The atmosphere. Visually, like, it, re it really triggers, I kind of mentioned this on your stream, but, like, if you have tripophobia or if you're, like, squeamish, like, it's not necessarily gory, but the implications of it combined with the sound design, like, there's a lot going on there to, like, really freak you out. Like, there's constantly noises yeah. going on. And there's an implication, like, going on in the story that uh, there's sort of, like, this skin disease that's been rotting people and, like, their skin and maybe their mind as well. And then any time that somebody dies, they become a tree. And that process slowly happens over time. And so when you, like, are first arriving in Darkwood and you don't know why there are trees fucking everywhere covering everything in every part of the street... And then you start to slowly realize that each one of those is a dead body of somebody that was trying to survive and has but since died. And then you start going into areas where it's so completely dense with trees that you can barely see ahead of you. And you know that danger is close because people have died here, but you don't know where it is. And it's closing in and the audio design and the sound design and the visuals making it so you can only see a little couple inches in front of you. Sort of like Teleglitch if you've ever played that game. And it's a very similar way of being able to see ahead of you only just with things, uh, objects in your way. It's so fun. I, I loved it tremendously. Why is it always Poland, though? <laughs> Poland! Why, why, Poland makes the best games. I don't know why. Like, is it... No, I mean, it's set in Poland. I'm like, how... how... Haven't we Polacks been through enough? <laughs> well, this game was Polish developers, right? Yeah, it was. It was. It was a Polish developed game, uh, actually. <laughs> anyway, uh, I there's also there's some other mechanics in this game I should probably mention. Uh, just that, like uh, cooking, you get like perks and disadvantages that you can build your character in different ways when you replay the game. Uh, you don't actually eat. But you can find like mushrooms and meat that you can throw into a pot that I guess becomes like a serum that gives you level up juice. And that gives you stuff like uh, the ability that I chose was um, basically like I, I was like a moth and I would heal when I was next to an electric light. And so I had to, yeah, I had to turn a light on in order to heal, but I could heal anywhere. Uh, and that was kind of an interesting little mechanic. But I also didn't get to use it that much just because I ended up using bandages a lot more. And there's also like a well that you can unlock just outside the house that heals you once every day. And that basically just does the trick. If you're like just are getting healed once every night, that's all you need to do is just grab the well. Uh, and there's, there's uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's a good game. I'm going to play it a lot more, I think. I'm going to play it some on stream, but it also stresses me out on stream just because I'm trying to keep up with chat while also trying to keep up with the time delay. Which, uh, I mean, that's why I'm there. Seems like you, it seems like you haven't established that yet. I want to see you stream it until you get an ending. I want to see what ending you end up with. I think I'll try to get a I'll try to get an ending. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'll, I'll keep it going. Because I think depending on which ending you get, you'll either be... You'll have one or uh, one of two extreme reactions. What are they? Are they happy or sad or angry? Like frustrated, confusion, shock, denial. I'm, All I'm the above. slowly raising my hand up on the video call, and just within my hand is the dog and the UFO from Silent Hill Two. So there's a there's a joke ending, is what you're telling me. Who knows? I don't want to spoil anything. Oh my! Fuck. Those are my favorite endings. I love finding those. 
I might end up getting really into this game just because it's so much fun and the emergent storytelling is so interesting to me. So, uh, yeah, uh, uh, you have some sons that cry and... Boy? No son of mine will cry, boy. No. Boy! Don't cry, boy! Good. Good segue. Real good segue. <laughs> I really should have thought more about that. That was a rough, rough segue. I knew it was going to be a rough segue. I even talked. We even talked about like the different segues this time a little bit, I, but I, I, I had nothing. See, here's the thing. I thought when Evie was talking about the endings, you were going to use that to lead into crying about one of them or something. I don't know. I didn't. I haven't played that much. I don't know if it's going to make me cry. Uh- <laughs> Alt Shift is is the developers of Crying Sons, and this is their only game. Uh, and this game is really, really fucking good. It's a roguelite, which I didn't realize going into the game. And it's all it's a real time sort of uh, strategy grid based battle system, in which you can pause and spend uh, spend some moments like strategizing, deciding where you're going to attack, what you're going to move your pieces to, etc. Uh, and then resume play and and allow the pieces to play out. Uh, it's super interesting. So the the core gameplay is it, uh, a lot like Void Bastards, which we covered earlier this year, in that you have this sort of intergalactic map, and you you chart your course through this map to get to the end of the area. And each area you go to has between like two and six different planets you can visit. And each of the planets has different missions or lore or events that happen to either give you resources, take away from your crew, or just trigger like pirate fights where, where you're you're fighting with random space pirates. Uh, it, it's super interesting. The the core loop of this roguelite is is very very good. It's a lot of fun. There's a- which I will say I just looked it up and uh, this game also has gorgeous visuals. Oh, it is absolutely stunning. There's a there's a few places where the visual styles kind of clash. Uh, it, it, it's odd. Like, all the character design is is very, like, pixel graphics 8-bit, but then sometimes you'll see something in space that looks kind of actually rendered, and, and it's weird. Uh, <laughs> um, but it, it's really good still. I, I really love the visuals. The sound design in this game is also very, very good. I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, and, and there's tons of variety in every playthrough you have, uh, each playthrough, you can select what ship you want to use, which each have different like buffs or, or debuffs. There are different engineers you can bring and different engineers you can unlock. And some of it, it's so, there's so much going on in this game. Cause some of the engineers have like cooldowns. So you have to, you can only use them like once every two runs or so, uh, while others you can use as like a generic stock loadout. And they all do different things from, like, making your drones come off cooldown quicker to uh, having active abilities that you can refresh the cooldown of the weapons on your ships and stuff. The the combat, to go back to this, uh, reading my notes out of order, is it's a sort of rock-paper-scissors system in that you have three different types of ships. Uh, I don't... drones, frigates, and cruisers or something like that. Uh, and each type of ship, it beats another one and is bested by a different. So, like, drones beats frigates, frigates beat cruisers, cruisers beat drones. Editor Johnny here. I was incredibly close for just firing it off the top of my head. There are three main types. Fighters, 
frigates, and drones. Drones are strong against frigates, frigates are strong against fighters, and fighters are strong against drones. Cruisers are an additional type that are only weak against melee and have additional massive ranged damage. Uh, and so you, the enemy ships can deploy their own little mini ships that come and attack you. So you have to deploy the right ones to combat theirs, fight off their ships while whittling away their their uh, their ship's hull and shield damage, basic, basically. Uh, but there's there's interesting decisions you have to make in combat because you can either attack the hull directly, which ends combat quicker. You can attack their... Uh, their systems, which allow them to spawn ships faster, or you can attack their weapons directly, which all the ships have different weapon slots, so you can just fire, like, direct cannons or, or giant explosives at, at the ships on the grid or things like that. Uh, so there's a lot of decision-making in all of the little fights as to what you're going to do, who you're going to attack, and everything like that. It's great. I, I had a ton of fun with this one. Uh, and the storyline is fucking buckwild. Uh, I'm not going to spoil very much about it, but the whole thing takes place in this sort of technocratic world where uh, the the leader, so to speak, has created essentially a means of traveling uh, beyond the speed of light. So he he's basically connected all these different like galaxies together, uh, and and he's decided based on the galaxy's merit how much access to this technology they have. So like how many hubs they have connecting to this sort of central universe. Uh, and at the start of the game, you find out the sector that you're in, all the hubs have suddenly gone offline. So this sector is just completely disconnected from the actual like main hub of their civilization. And so there's just like, there's tons of great topics about like class and, and the dependency of technology and like all, all these different, themes about what it means to like live in the sort of rural area of this society uh it, it's really good there's there's a lot of depth to this story and uh through god i probably did like 40 plus runs on this game and, and i've barely wow. scratched the surface yeah i i just made it to act two and there's three official acts through the game uh it, it's really good and there's tons of lore buried and all the sort of randomly spawned side missions and everything I I enjoyed this game immensely. It's it's one of the best roguelites I've played this year, aside from probably Hades. So yeah, it's it's very good. <laughs> wow, that's huge. This one is a massive surprise hit because I honestly shrugged this one off when I saw like a couple of screenshots of it, and it, I only saw the battle mode, and it looked kind of like a weird, funky strategy game, and I was like, eh, I don't feel like it. No thanks. I, I can a hundred percent say the the photos and the videos of this game like don't do it justice. Wow. Okay. Well, there you go. Like, and I it, I <laughs> I love games that use like a basic rock paper scissors mechanic, but then like it, it elaborate on it in ways that are really fun. Yeah, it's so simple, but then there's like so much depth and decision making that goes into every version of combat. Like, it's really good. Yeah, I I cannot recommend this game enough. Honestly. Plus, they're space pirates. Like, like you're fighting space pirates. A and what, what more can you ask for, right? Bodacious space pirates, perhaps? Bodacious? Bodacious criminals? What would bodacious space pirates be, though? An anime. <laughs> I'd watch that anime. I'd watch that anime. It's an anime. Guys, it is an anime. 
Oh, wait, it's a real anime? Well, fuck me. <laughs> I thought we were doing a segue. <laughs> now, now that the segue is destroyed, what's this anime? Please inform us. <laughs> we're waiting. We're waiting for Johnny to figure out what Bodacious Space Pirates is. Wait, am I Googling this? Is this me? I thought we were... Is that the name of the anime? Yes. I didn't realize that was the name. Oh! Oh, fuck, it is! <laughs> oh, my fuck! Miniskirt... Miniskirt Space Pirates is a Japanese light novel series about space pirates written by Yuichi Sasamoto. And now we get into the anime segment of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But aren't aren't bodacious anime space pirates really just the Yakuza? I mean, Kazuma Kiryu is a pretty bodacious man, let's just say. That's <laughs> how I describe him, man. He's got a thick, juicy one, that's all I gotta say. Excuse me? He's got a good ass. <laughs> Are you saying words about my husbando? On a scale of one to minion, how good is this ass? I'd say ten binions. Okay, uh, hanging up again. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> ten binions out of ten. Such a good ass. Yeah, I played Yakuza Kiwami too, and uh, boy howdy, fellas. It's fucking Yakuza. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. Well, it's developed by Sega. Pretty small indie group. I don't know if you uh, know them at all. Yeah, it's a little little side company, little side project. I mean, this is one of those games where, like, the other ones are, like, uh, you know, relatively indie, relatively, like, uh, singular experiences aside from the save data thing, whereas this is a legacy. Yeah, I think they did, like, that one, uh, that one phone game. Was it, uh, so Sonic Something about si Sonic Rush? Sonic? Yeah, I don't know. Like like the drive-thru? Yeah, I think it was probably something about the drive-thru. But so, Kiwami 2 is a remake of Yakuza 2. So you have the first two Yakuza's, then you had all the other Yakuza's, and then they remade 1 and 2 and called them Kiwami. I think like 10 years later? I, th I think Kiwami 2 came out a decade after the original. So the original was on the PS2. I think they made it on the same engine as Yakuza 0 as well to kind of update it for the, especially for Western audiences. I think it's the same engine as 6, actually. Oh, 6. That might actually be the case. I think 6 might have been, I think that 0 might have been made off of 6's engine, but either way. It's somewhere around there. Anyway, if you don't know about the legend, the legacy that is the Yakuza series, it's an action-adventure, and uh, you play Yakuza Man, Kazuma Kiryu, until you get to later games and you no longer play Kazuma Kiryu. I call that problematic, but you know, go off. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, so I've not played the first Kiwami. I think I played the first Yakuza game like as an infant with like a PlayStation 2 or something, so... Editor Johnny here. I have no clue what's being talked about in this upcoming game. So just in case, I'm going to mark this section as spoilers. While I don't think it contains anything drastic, I wanted to mark it just in case. If you want to avoid any potential spoilers, I don't know. Uh, jump ahead to 1 hour, 1 minute, and 23 seconds. 
But uh, to not try to uh, establish what the original story is and just uh, go off what 2 is about. Main man Kiryu, he's out here, he has an adopted daughter, and he uh, is dadding the fuck out of her. You know, they're living their best life. Uh, He's ex-Yakuza at this point. He ran off to go raise his new daughter. And then uh, his former clan, the Tojo clan, call him up. And they're like, hey, we need your help. We need uh, someone to be our middleman for negotiations between the Tojo clan and the Omi Alliance, I believe they're called. So uh, the current chairman, Terada, he's like, need your help. So is like, well, shit, I'm here to help. Then Terada gets yeeted off by Hitman. Kiryu has to take his place. He has to go find another guy to be the next chairman. And, yeah, I'm not here to tell you about a 20-hour plot in Yakuza 2. (laughs) (laughs) PLDR, there's a lot of he said, she said, she's doing that, he's doing that. And uh, by the end, he still has a daughter, and then he has a new boo. A bae, if you will. (laughs) Hell yeah. I don't know, like... The main story in Yakuza to me has always been like there's there's usually an engaging element like a crime hook that like you know you got like your your hardened chiseled Kiryu that like wants to get out of the Yakuza life and raise a regular family but he keeps getting pulled back in. Yeah, he's got like that razor sharp jawline, those big beefy arms, that smooth roast beef voice, that strong sense of honor. <laughs> <laughs> But like, but uh, the basic plot here is he's no longer Yakuza. He gets called back in. Two clans are going at each other, two Japanese clans. And one is fucking with the other constantly. But then plot twist, it's actually a Korean group that they thought had been completely wiped out, like getting them to like go to war with each other so it can like go in and finish them both off. So one might say this game could be an apt metaphor for foreign influence in ele- in election. Okay, I'm just gonna mute Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> getting too political, too current. <laughs> but yeah, uh. So I would say there's definite pros and cons comparing Kiwami 2 to the original 2. Uh, I played the original 2 again like a decade ago. I was babby, but I definitely remember there's preferring the visuals to that, the visual aesthetic of the original to this one. To an extent, I'm sure it has to do with, you know, nostalgia, the rose-colored glasses of you know, it has that PS2 look, but at the same time, you look and you compare them and there's like a warmth to the color palette and the overall aesthetic of the original versus this version, which I can feel, it feels a little clinical at times. I think the original, yeah, the original seemed like it was a little grittier, a little bit more hard edge and a little bit more straight edge with the whole sort of way that it took it. It, fe- it felt like you were walking through the so-called Kimuro Cho more than here. Kimuro Cho here feels more like just it could be anywhere in Tokyo, honestly. Hmm. Interesting. But I do also know that they removed some locations from the original two for this version. 
and I don't know exactly what those areas are because, again, I'm not totally familiar enough to be fully comparing them myself, but I know that was kind of a con for a lot of people as they removed some iconic locations. Gotcha. Huh. I, I know that one of the big differences between this game and the new one is that they added a ton of side content, and the side content is largely what a lot of people actually go to this game for. Yeah, so... The original one didn't really have those Yakuza-style side quests that the series is kind of known for now. Two is kind of getting into it a little bit. Like, it was starting to get there. There were some quests that were a little more in line with Yakuza as a whole, but with this remake, they went back and... Man. This this particular game is some of the famous ones. <laughs> You uh, you see that clip where Kazuma Kiryu is beating the shit out of some grown men in diapers pretending to be babies. <laughs> it's this game. <laughs> see, that's what I fucking come to Yakuza for. It it's fucking Kiryu. Yeah, with a fucking straight face, beating up a bunch of grown men in diapers. Because, like, it's this long, continuing thing of, like, he's trying to figure out what all these codes mean and trying to figure out, like, this, like, conspiracy. None of it was code. It was all literal. It's a fucking adult daycare. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, there's so many good quests in the fucking Yakuza series. Part of the reason why I was really happy that you were taking on the opportunity to play this game for us this month is that I'm in the middle of my playthrough of an earlier game in the series, kind of later technically if you're thinking about it as a remake and not a new title. But anyway, Yakuza 0 takes place in the 80s, and it's so much fun, just all the, the different shit that happens in that game. Oh, it's so good. And the side quests are so good, too. It has such fantastic location. Yeah, and the location is just like, it just feels like you're walking around in Kamurocho in the 80s. It's so awesome. Uh, and I love that they keep revisiting that same sort of area in the Yakuza series, that they keep coming back to that district of Kamurocho and just sort of exploring it over and over. I definitely love the comparison of Zero is set in the 80s and then the uh, other games are set, like, in the modern day. Like, as it adheres to, like, each consecutive game, but how they... It's the same general locations, and yet they're able to transform them in such a natural, nice-looking way. Yeah, yeah. And it really feels like a lived-in place because of that. Like, GTA feels very static and very, like, you can't go into every building and you can't do any, anything, but, like, almost every building you can, like, fucking interact with in that game, it seems like. That's, oh, that's wow. something I definitely appreciate. It's just, you know, you can be walking around. Please, for the love of God, Majima, leave me the fuck alone. You know, walk, it, walk into an alley, and it's just like, you know, there might not be anything going on. There might be. You might find a whole ass substory just going on because you walked into an alley up onto a roof, just hanging the fuck out, being Kazuma Kiryu, roast beef man. <laughs> this is also the uh, Yakuza game where you get the voice acting substory. Have you guys seen that one? No. Oh my god, so he's just fucking walking around town, right? And this guy is like, I'm desperate, I'm desperate. I need a voice actor. You're a good-looking guy. And he's like, what? <laughs> and he's like, just, I need you to be a voice actor, okay? It's fine. Just, we need someone. Which is, by the way, the funniest meta thing. Because he has to play a main character. And who the fuck just doesn't cast a main character? 
Yeah, like what the hell? He's we need a main character right now. You, you look like a voice actor. Your face looks like a voice actor. But he fucking, he fucking walks in. He's Kazuma Kiryu. He's big. He he has a bit of his like uh, chest cleavage going on. He's wearing his nice suit that obviously screams Yakuza. <laughs> And he meet and he meets the guy he has to do his scene with, and he gets the script, and the guy is like, "Oh, we're all alone in the classroom." <laughs> and he, uh, you as the player have to pick Kazuma Kiryu's lines that he then says. <laughs> so anyway, not to throw anything out there, but Yakuza Kiwami too said, "Bottom Kiryu writes." <laughs> <laughs> You can make Kiryu a bottom. Oh, no, it happens either way. It's just how, <laughs> how against it is he overall. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, my God, I fucking... If you've never played a Yakuza game, they're so good. Would you recommend this as a first Yakuza game? Uh, Not as a first Yakuza game, because, again, as this is... Two, a remake of two, but it's two. You don't really get the established that fact that he's now fathering an adopted daughter. Like, you don't get that backstory. So I would say either start with the original one or two, which, you know, that has the inherent issues of being older games, different mechanics. They haven't fully established, like, what the fighting style is going to be in the Yakuza series. Or start with Kiwami 1. You could start with Yakuza 0 as well. So I'd say Kiwami 1 or 0 are great intros. 0 was a good spot for, for me to just come in and jump in and figure things out because it takes place before everything. But also Kiwami seems like a more subdued experience compared to 0. 0 seems a little bit off the wall. Uh, kind of reins it more in for the remake. Well, off the wall. Uh, happy you mentioned that. Uh, Kiwami 2 comes with 300% more Majima. <laughs> what does this mean? There's a side story you can play where you uh, are Majima. Oh, nice! That's awesome! Yeah, you play as Majima in, in Zero as well. He runs like a strip club. And you get to like manage the strip club in Zero, which is a really fun mechanic. Yeah, you actually have to like recruit women and stuff. Yeah, that's before, that's before he develops his actual legitimate business, which is Majima Construction. <laughs> I like how he went from strip clubs to construction. What a leap. As one does. I will say there was a lot of uh, discourse regarding this game because a lot of people came off Zero and then jumped to Kiwami 1, Kiwami 2. Uh, Kiwami 2 has a different fighting style from Zero. So Zero and I think Like a Dragon? Zero and one other recent game, they have, uh, you can switch out your styles. Like you have four different styles that you can switch out in the middle of fighting. Whereas Kiwami 2 is more inclined towards the actual original 1 and 2 Yakuza games, where you only have the one style. And I can't really say one is better than the other. It kind of just depends ultimately on the person. Like, there is no clear, like, winner in regards to the fighting mechanics. You still get heat moves either way. You can still beat a guy to death with a scooter. <laughs> it's still satisfying as hell. And like, and if, if I imagine it still has like the contextual stuff too, where you can just find shit off the ground and then beat people to death with it. That's my favorite. Just grab an office chair or like a random vending machine or like just something and just use it to just 
plow someone's face into the dirt. I my favorite thing is <laughs> my favorite thing is the meta of Majima and Kazuma Kiryu are good friends, right? They're good friends in the series. I love the meta of fucking Majima running around and he likes to like pick like little like brawling fights with you at random. The meta of fucking Kazuma Kiryu taking a knife and fucking shanking Majima repeatedly. <laughs> it is like I've never killed a man. <laughs> <laughs> never killed a man. I've stabbed a man 37 times in the chest, but I've never killed a man. Takes a shotgun and blasts a guy point blank in the chest. I've never killed a man. But yeah, of course I would 100% recommend the Yakuza series. It goes from dead serious to fucking Kazuma Kiryu in a phone booth. Whipping a phone off its stand with full intensity. Mushy mushy. <laughs> mush, mush, mush. It, it really plays the, the deadpan comedy so well, right next to all the serious aspects as well. It's the best of both worlds. It, it goes from genuine serious Yakuza drama to, like, he's fucking running around with a sex worker, uh, he's voice acting for BL, he's like, pretend, pretend to take it up the ass, Kiryu, just do it. <laughs> to, uh... <laughs> to make a bastardized western comparison uh would you say it's kind of like i mean a more in-depth saints row for people who are looking for that kind of style of game uh perhaps like if you like saints row i think you would very much enjoy yakuza but yakuza has a bit more beef to it roast beef if you will kazuma kiryu <laughs> <laughs> If, if you hated the driving in Saints Row, then, like... There's no driving here. No driving. It's a smaller world, too. But also, if you kind of like that sort of mafia, Yakuza aesthetic, like, the narrative tropes that go with it, that's very prevalent here. And it's very goofy at times, but it's very serious at other times, so... And it blends them so oddly well together that even if we say Saints Row, I'm like, I don't even know if Saints Row could... If you like Saints Row, you'll like Yakuza, but if you like Yakuza, I don't know if you could truly get into Saints Row. Because Saints Row goes over the top with its parodying, and it's, it's at a certain point, like, Saints Row 2 was the last one that kind of took itself seriously, and that's sort of like the mix that you get in this game, where it's a mix of goofiness and a mix of seriousness, but never one overwhelming the other. Okay. That it. Anyway, Majima won't attack you in Saints Row, so what's the point? <laughs> just want him to crush me. I just want a good bromance, man. <laughs> that's what we're here for. Well, yeah. Uh, that's it for today, then. Oh, my God. Thank you, Eby. <laughs> oh, my God. Goodbye forever. <laughs> I'm I'm reading David's notes on the extra. <laughs> There's so many more things to go over that you've written down, Bax. Oh my god, this is so good, David. <laughs> Why didn't you say anything? Sorry, we can't leave yet. We can't leave until Bax goes through all of his notes in graphic detail. But yeah, here's here's my graphic deta graphically detailed notes. Uh, the extra for this month is Tori. T-O-R-I-I. -I. I tried it. It didn't work. Try it yourself. It seems fun. Seems like a Journey-style game about a woman traveling through a land of the dead. Probably has something to do with Tory Gates. I don't fucking know. <laughs> wow, perfect. Play it yourself. Natural, fluent. Asshole. 
I can't play everything for you. Why didn't you tell me? I would have tried to see if I could get it to work. I think I did. I just don't know that I ever really communicated it that well. I didn't really like... Well, wow, since you're so lost and you completely forgot about your own notes, uh, what are your games of the month, Bax and Johnny? <laughs> Uh, well, I'll tell you my game of the month. I was thinking about doing Darkwood, because uh, I really like that game. The only thing that kind of brings it down is just how anxious it makes me, because there's no save system, and I just am constantly on edge, and I, I wish that I could just save and feel better <laughs> about my status in the game, but I'm constantly losing resources because I'm a fucking idiot. Uh, so I actually am going to say Darksburg uh, from last week, because we played it more, we found out more about that game. You want to you tear into that real quick? So, uh, revisiting Darksburg for a second, we didn't hit everything on that game because we didn't realize what it was for a long time in development. Uh, we assumed that its entire development period, it was always a co-op roguelike uh, that's sort of a Diablo-style game. I mean, that's what it's marketed as. Yes because they switched mid-development they couldn't get enough players for their original game type it was originally a 4v4 left for dead diablo style game that was asymmetric multiplayer between the zombies and the survivors and you can still play it but it's locked in an options menu. The the whole last time, if you're playing Darksburg and you see like the fishmongers or the witch doctor or the the raven uh, raven queen uh, or the brute, any of those characters are playable by an actual real player. They have it all fully featured and it's still completely playable. But you just have to go into the options menu and check a button, and then you can start. M matches with this mode that doesn't exist in the main game anymore and it's really cool we haven't actually gotten a full matchup yet because we need to get a lot more people together in order to actually get it to work but i have had so much fun with this game that i have started to play other diablo style games just on my own when i never used to before just because this game is really quick at getting you in there and you got all your abilities and you don't have to fucking grind or anything so i'm actually making it through the parts of the grindy parts of games that i never used to get through before just because I know what it's going to eventually build to, and I'm excited for it. <laughs> because of Darkspring. <laughs> so yeah, fucking check it out. There's a whole ass extra whole ass extra game hidden in that game that they just don't tell you about. Entire 4v4 versus mode that they don't even fucking market. It's oh my so god, good. guys. It's so good. It's so... Turn that setting on. My game's Crying Sons. Are you going to explain why that's your game of the month, or...? I, I spent, like, fucking five minutes on mine. God damn it. You can spend 30 seconds. They, they heard the fucking podcast. It's in this episode. Go back and listen. <laughs> I'm here to be that one asshole and be Minecraft. <laughs> Minecraft and Animal Crossing. You're not escaping. I know you played that. I saw you. I saw the notification pop up. Okay, but, like, Minecraft... Or, not my Animal Crossing I've been playing for months. Whereas... I just bought Minecraft yesterday. But yeah, I've been playing Animal Crossing since it came out because it's very inclined towards the sort of gaming I like to do. Like, I like to turn my brain off when I game. Mm. You should try Rover Mechanic Simulator. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> but yeah, Animal Crossing is like the perfect game to play like when you have classes because let's be real, no one's paying 100% attention to online classes. 
Like you can run around. There's no real consequences to what you do. You can build up your island and then trash it many times as I did. Many, many times. Because you're an overly anal, OCD-ridden human being who even in a casual game has to be like, no, capitalism. No, it has to be perfect. <laughs> Johnny. <laughs> His fucking production hell. Cool. Hell yeah. Uh, I've been playing a couple other things as well. I've been playing some zombies uh, on stream. I played some Unfortunate Spacemen, some Among Us. I played Titan Quest and the... Uh, incredible adventures of Van Helsing in search of a Diablo game that is not not Diablo. Uh, I played a little bit of Dead by Daylight and I played more Darksburg. I've been playing zombies in Darksburg in post void. Free shit. There's free shit. Elite Dangerous. Uh, that's free right now. And the world next door. Make sure you pick that up before it goes away. Uh, and next time is Mud Runner. It looks like an Alaskan car driving simulator almost where you're running around in cars in the mud manly Ugh. we're just talking all over each other this podcast <laughs> let's do it this let's just do the rest of it talking just... over each other hey, all right yeah fuck it we're just gonna do uh, J- jdrm yeah, uh, is the charity this month they uh, the movie franchise for type that, uh, 1 diabetes. we uh, want to adapt into a video game answer to the question this uh month? Is uh, in fact my answer would be the Twilight Zone. None of that was comprehensible. It's okay. None of it's that. It's separate tracks. I can just mute them. Yeah. <laughs> it's so. Easy. Are you though? Are you going to? Who knows? Are you going to? Who knows? Who knows? Okay. Well, uh, the the question anyway. What movie or franchise do you want adapted into a video game? And I really want like a like a visual novel or like a like a Telltale style adventure game set in the Twilight Zone. I think that the black and white aesthetic would be so cool, so fun. Uh, you could really tell some interesting stories in that universe, and it would be good for moral choices and, and that, that kind of like choice-driven gameplay. Okay, well, this is going to be an oddly derivative thing. I don't know if a lot of people will know, but one of my favorite anime of all time is Mushishi. And it's very calming. It's very mysterious. It has its own developed world system of these supernatural beings that exist alongside the rest of the world. And something about it I find so calming and so peaceful. So I was thinking, I'm like, okay, if this were turned into a game, what kind of game would it be? And I was kind of thinking, like, you know, something with a bit of a walking sim mentality to it, but... Kind of kind of like a mystery game, kind of like a solve and defeat the monsters in a non-traditional way. Because it's all about peace and like the main character is about not killing these creatures just because they interfere with human life. And it's very Zen and it's very Buddhist in its mentality. So I was like, not sure entirely what sort of game it could be, but if a game were made of it, I'd fucking slap the $60 down. Johnny, Johnny, did you come up with an answer yet? Okay, okay, okay. I've got, I've got my dumb answer first. Hardcore Henry, the game. <laughs> What's Hardcore Henry? You haven't heard of Hardcore Henry? No. <laughs> it's a cinematic masterpiece. <laughs> oh no. I have. Uh, ten out of ten. I'll fund this. Twenty fifteen action sci-fi flick. No wonder I never saw it. That, that was in the period when I never saw anything in theaters. 
you've got to look at the trailer real quick to see how they filmed this, my guy. <laughs> how? What? They film? How do they filmed it? Is it a first person shooter? Is it just a first person? Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Okay, actually, that would be a really funny project. Just do it, but it's like Dragon's Lair, where you have to, like, press the button at the right moment. Otherwise, you get, like, a failure. <laughs> it's just QTEs. <laughs> yeah, like an old, old uh, live-action game on those really trashy ones that no one remembers fondly. Like, what's the sleepover one where you have to keep all the teenage girls alive? Night Trap. Uh, but my real answer would probably be uh, the Cube series. I think it'd make a really good survival horror game. I was trying to avoid another editor segment because this podcast is going on for way too long this episode, but David decided to inform me right before finishing my editing that there are actually two games based on the Cube series that have been released. One called Half Dead and one called Never Out. I will definitely be purchasing these and trying them. Where can people find you, Evie? Well, if you uh, scream into the void loud enough. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you can find me, you can find my YouTube channel, Evie Flippiak. Uh, Bax will link it. Uh, link my Instagram here as well. Uh, and also link the Sonic podcast and the Sonic Twitter. Put them each down as I say it. Bax, not Johnny. I don't care if Johnny's editing. Bax is doing it. <laughs> I, that, he, Johnny, I'm, I'm sitting here like, no, Johnny is the one who always posts it. No. <laughs> well, I guess, uh, I guess it's been decided. Yeah. And, uh, what's a, what's a podcast coming up? Uh, that's the, you can find both you and I on. Something I mentioned You're going to be on Welcome to Night Vale. Uh, very exciting. They brought us on to the show. What? And also, we have a podcast uh, that we're starting. I, I hope about you know Sonic. I'm ending it right there. I'm ending the episode right there. <laughs> <laughs> the Sonic Podcast official. <laughs> The Sonic Podcast official was the real 